Hello and welcome to episode 49 of the Alfa Romeo Driver podcast, brought to you by the Alfa Romeo Owners Club. I'm Guy Swarbrick and this afternoon I'm delighted to have with me Ken Carrington, former club chairman, intrepid photographer, organiser of the legendary Andiamo and Milano trips to Italy and the club's official liaison with the DVLA. Good afternoon, Ken. Good afternoon, Guy. Good to talk to you. And you. We have a, a kind of standard format for these things and, and uh, I think the the thing that most people want to hear first is where your interest in Alpha came about and, and how that's progressed over the years. Well, I, I guess looking back, my my first link with Alpha Romeo was when I was about 19 and I, I played club rugby at that time. And uh, one of the guys in the club had a Julia Prince Speciale. We were good friends and we used to buzz off to rugby matches on, on a Saturday afternoon in this car that I knew very little about. It was an unusual looking car in my view. I had minis at the time, but it went like the wind and, and that had quite a lasting impression on me um, because it was another over 20 years before I owned one. But um, yeah, that was how it all started, I think. I mean, that's quite a, if you forgive the pun, that's quite a speciale introduction to the to the mark. Mm. Why did it take so long after that to get your own? Well, I, I guess I, I was into minis. I had 850s. I then went through the Mini Coopers. My last Mini was a, a 1275 Downton Cooper S, which if there's one car I've ever owned that I wish I'd still had, then that's the one. <laughs> We've all got at least one of those. It was a very special car. I, I don't know. I didn't really see myself owning an Alpha because generally they were a little more expensive than, than most until uh, 1981. And an old chum who's sadly no longer with us said he was going to thin down his fleet and he was thinking of selling the Sprint GT. And and that's that was my first Alpha. And it was a very early, it was chassis number five. Sprint GT and turned out to be the first Sprint GT ever to come to the UK. Not only that, it was the first car from the new Aracy plant to come to the UK. So I didn't know much about it at the time, but that curiosity then led me into getting into the 105 register, which I set up in 1982. So it all started in that way. And um, I've had my head buried in chassis numbers and whatnot ever since. <laughs> Sue, Sue calls me an anorak. <laughs> it's a question we ask everybody, and the, the, the answers have varied, I think, from one to 70-odd through to I'm not really sure I've lost count. But that, that was the first one. How many alphas have you had since then? Not as many as you might think. Probably eight or ten, something like that. Sprint GT, Julius Super, a couple of Alfettas. Another one I have, which is halfway through restoration. Um, probably the most unusual car I had was an Alpha 6, which I had for about three or four years. Probably one of the best cars I've ever owned. Uh, people, the press in particular, slated it. But um, to own one and live with it for five years, that was my one of my best cars. I mean, it was a lovely thing to drive. Yeah. I think, sadly, one of those cars where there are, there are probably fewer examples left in the UK now than the model number. Uh, absolutely. The, the one I know, and I always kidded Ferdi Pascucci uh, about it. He's, he's got a, a lovely example. And every time I saw him, I said, you look after that car because that's mine one day. <laughs> uh, so we used to chuckle over that. But uh, yeah, a fine car. And of course, the first car to take a V6 engine. And uh, mine was a very early one with carburetors, six dainty little carburetors mounted on top of the block. And um, yeah, lovely car. Yeah, I bet tuning that was fun. Well, fortunately, David Lye, who was at that time Sunnyside Garage, he had owned the car a couple of years previously. Uh, he sold it on, and then I eventually bought it from the guy who 
David sold it to. So, and David used to look after my cars anyway. Well, of, well, of course, he'd had plenty of experience with setting up those cars, and he he used to get it running like a sewing machine. It's um, it was a treat. So, so what's the the current fleet? Well, my trusty old uh, sport wagon, um, which I've now had for I don't know ten or twelve years. I bought it with high mileage. Um, took a chance on it. And it's still running with almost 284,000 miles, and it just still purrs along. I still have my Alfetta GTV, which is it's it's not going to stay here very long. It's it's going to be sold. Julia Super has gone, and the one I've chosen to restore is is my uh, V675, which was the ex Bob Dove car right. that he used to write about in the magazine. Uh, I've had that since 1998. Used it now for 10, nearly 12 years, I guess. But uh, that's the one I'm going to restore. And hopefully get started on that within the next couple of months. Brilliant. So I'll, I'll be down. I'll be down to. I'll have two. Um, I, I intend to keep the sport wagon as long as I can keep it going forever. I hope. But it's lovely to drive, and being such a good old bus, I think it's worth just keeping it. Whatever. So, yeah. 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 But the seventy-five, I'm looking forward to, and I'd love to take it to Italy again. Yes, we'll talk about that uh, later on as well. So, and anything that you still have an itch to own that you haven't owned yet i think if i oh, i don't know I'd, I'd love another early coupe but they're, 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 i'm a i'm a pensioner now they've, they've gone out of my price bracket i don't know i'm happy with what i've got and i, I tend not to um be unhappy about what i haven't got so i'm i'm, I'm quite happy with this with this sport wagon the 75 will be an absolute treat because it, it's one that was modified with harvey bailey suspension and it's just such good fun to drive. I remember getting loose, let loose at Spa in 2002 out on that track for an hour and a half with a good handling V675. I thought I'd died and gone to heaven. It was, it was fabulous, good fun. Yeah. So we talked about your, your ownership history. How did you get involved in the club? You, you mentioned the one setting up the 105 register, but how did that all come about? Well, Peter Brown, my old chum who I, who sold me the Sprint GT, he said he gave me some phone numbers, one of which was EB Spares, he said, because you're almost certainly going to need them, and the contact for the club. And I, I immediately joined the club in August 1981. Uh, and that was it. it um, membership's 4216. And then, strange coincidence, Robin Rands must have joined on the same day. We've become good <laughs> mates uh, because his number's two away from mine. So. So that yeah, that was as simple as that. It was uh, it was seen as a the, the right thing to do when you owned a, a, a you know, classic Alpha, and I, I just got involved. I, I'm one of those people I can't just sit back and receive a magazine every month. I have to be be doing something. So that that was it. One of the things that you do, and the the club's very grateful for because we use them a lot, is take photographs. How did that come about? Well, I've always been keen on photography, and my very first photograph that that was published this was in 1982, I believe, when we when we were holding National Alpha Day at um, well the place on the A1. I can't remember the name of it now. It'll come back to me. But we we arrived there, and I had an Alfetta saloon at the time. My wife and three children were piled in the back, and as I arrived, there were two pre-war cars parked, which I'd never seen one before. And I, I, I could see a crowd of people moving towards them. And I simply raced to a parking spot, jumped out and grabbed the camera, which at that time was an old Zenith E. Well, of course, everything on the old Zenith E was, was preset. You had to set it up. And I remember running across the field to try and beat this crowd of people, uh, setting the aperture, the shutter and, and so on, and literally ground to a stop, feet in front of the others, snap, snap, and that was it. 
Michael Lindsay, uh, editor at the time, saw those shots and he said, well, that's a cover shot. So the very first photograph that I ever uh, saw published was on the cover of a magazine. <laughs> yeah, you mentioned the um, the 105 register. How, how did the the setting up of that come about? Well, I suppose because I had the very early Sprint GT, my curiosity got the better of me and I contacted the archive. I, I, I'd been told that it was thought to be the first GT Sprint GT to come into the UK. And in 1988, which was my first visit to Italy, I went to the museum and met Elvira Rocco, who was then archivist at that time. We've become really good friends ever since and, and still are. And she confirmed that it was the, the first car to come to the UK and so on. So I, my curiosity then was, well, what happened to the earlier four? And that's how it started. So um, my curiosity got the better of me and, and, the, and the register started and I, I looked after it for five years before moving it on and um, Chris Sweetapple then took it on and it's now been with Stuart for a long, long while and he does a good job. Yeah, obviously we had Stuart on the, the podcast just before Christmas and, and, and talked yeah. about that. Yeah. And, and I, think, I think I'm right in saying that that was really one of the, the inspirations for having model registers in, in the first place. It was, it was one of the first, if not the first register the club had. Well, the, the registers that were about at the time, Pete, Peter Marshall with his 1900 register, and I mean, there's nobody on the planet that knows more about 1900s than Peter. Um, I think Tony Stevens was looking after the Julietta register, which was part of the club, but there was not an awful lot else. And and I think it was funny. I was seen as uh, who's this upstart who thinks he's going to look like a set up a register. John Dooley had been talking about it. I understand for a while. And of course, Richard Banks at that time um, was was restoring early alphas. And it was through that uh, first contact with Richard and I have become really great mates ever since. So it's sort of apart from cars, it's it's uh, it's introduced me to an awful lot of people who are, who are still many of them still good friends. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. But it was basically the, the can't, I can't stay away from a chassis number. If I see an alpha with a bonnet number, I just, I zoom in on it. I can't, I can't stop myself, even now. <laughs> so, the, the other thing that you're, uh, or the other two things you're known for, for in the club are, are your DVLA role, which we'll, we'll come on to shortly, and the Andiamo Armilano trips to Italy. How did that that happen? Well, believe it or not, dear old friend, Chris Melville Brown, who passed away about five years ago, he, he and I had become real close mates, real good buddies. And he and one of his twin daughters used to do things like the, um, the, 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 the the car rallies, the, um, ones that finished at Silverstone. I can't remember the, the titles of them now. The Norwich Union run, I think was the main one. And he used to join Sue and I on occasions for Sunday lunch. And we got chatting about we ought to we ought to do a holiday to Italy, just he and his daughter, Honey, who then used to navigate for him, and Sue and I. And we thought, well, that's a good idea. We can visit the museum and do all the, the things. It started off, there was just the four of us. We're going to go on this trip to Italy. And then one or two people in the section heard about it, in the Essex section, and, and thought, well, this would be good. Make a nice section trip. Well, that was it. Then the word got round to the whole, <laughs> through the club. And we finished up taking 94 people on that tour, including two, two Californians in, a, in a, an early four-speed Julieta Spider, who came all the way from California, obviously, to, um, to join the trip. So that's how it all began. And, but it was only ever, uh, never thought of anything more than just the one trip. When we assembled on the dock at Dover that morning, pretty much nobody else knew anybody else. But coming back 12 days later, it was just one big, tight-knit family 
And there was talk on the on the return journey. Well, when are we going to do the next one? And we'll have to have a reunion. And of course, that was another thing that came out of it. The uh, the reunions at Crick, we did one in 1995. And up until recent restrictions with COVID, we've done it every year since, to over over 20 years since. And of course, then the, the other trips, we did one another one in 97, which I took my, my dear late mum with me because um, our daughter was then two years old, which would have been a nightmare in a car for eight hours a day. Uh, 97, 2000, we did the Mila Mila uh, route. 2004, 2010, when we took, I think I had over 180 people on that tour and getting them all in the same hotel every night <laughs> was quite a challenge, but it, it all worked. And, and everybody seems to have enjoyed the tours because uh, they keep coming back for more. And the last one was 2010, uh, 2019. Having said in 2010, never again, no, I'm not doing that anymore. Well, we did another one. And now I'm sort of being talked into doing one final one. And if it happens, it certainly will be the final one. And if I thought I could get it ready for next year, then that'll be fine. If not, then 2024 would be the 30th anniversary of the first one. I love doing them. They're a lot of work, but they're just such a good bunch of people that um, they're all they're all good fun. I can tell they take a little bit of time to recover from. I know we've had a couple of unusual years, but mm. the report of the 2019 one will be in the uh, in the February issue. So it's, it's taken a while to recover from that, hasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Long overdue. I mean, I should have done that a lot sooner, but. Um, yeah, they are. They are. They've just been good fun, and we've done some pretty special things. With you know, we've the main thing is visiting the club museum. The, on the last trip, we I took uh, ninety odd people to visit uh, Gibo Salvetti at the Blue Team, and also on that tour, we did the Lingotto building, which we'd done before in ninety seven, up on the roof, cars on the roof, and we went straight from there to to um, Balocco to the test track. Now, either of those things are quite a privilege to uh, to do, but to do both on the same day, well, I, I, I doubt that many people have managed that, and it's um, there was grins on faces for <laughs> for a good time after those after yeah, that day. I can um, imagine. Yeah. So, yeah, they've been good fun, and I've, I've made a lot of friends, a lot of good friends through those uh, through those tours. So um, I think there's probably one more in me. So that's that's definitely a, a, a highlight. Clearly, what, what other Highlights of the bin of, of your membership over the last 40 years? Ooh, um, making many friendships, um, you know, and I, and I spent what nearly 30 years on the on the committee or board, as, as it's now known. From 1984, I first joined the, the committee and, and up until uh, the early, well, I can't remember just how long ago. It was nearly 30 years, finishing up a couple, two years as chairman of the board. That was um, a, a privilege to do, to, to be part of that for such a long time. I don't know. It's difficult to say. It's just it's become a total way of life, I suppose. And the whole thing has been a forty-year highlight. I guess that might sound <laughs> crazy, but that, that's how I, I suppose that's how I see it. If I have to think about it, we did talk about one before we started the recording today, which was um, featured in the December issue of the magazine, which was uh, a trip to see Willie Green. Yes. To see Willie Green driving that car, and I, and I, I was I saw him uh, as a couple of the other photos show um, at Goodwood, either at the festival or at the revival. And I got to know Willie Green quite well through the Stroke Association Day uh, days at Castle Coombe. He and uh, Wizzo Williams, we used to make a beeline for them and, and jump in alongside whatever they were driving. Uh, and two of uh, great drivers, and another one was um, in a Ferrari 250LM, which is my all-time favourite Ferrari. And I got to do five laps of, of Castle Coombe with Gary Pearson, 
who really has taken on, you know, he's now what Willie Green has always been. He's, he's one of the best uh, historic racers that, that we've got. And to get round Castlecombe, A, with him, but especially in a 250 LM, well, I, I, the grin really hasn't cleared from my face, and that was a few years ago. <laughs> <laughs> so there's been a lot of good things Met, met some important, some good people, made very, very good friends at the archive in Milan. Marco Fazio has become a, a very close friend. And the, the two two young ladies who do the um, archive work now with this research, I've I've made a point of meeting them and sat and had coffee with them. So we've got a good a good working relationship. So I, yeah, I, but with Willie Green, it, it, he was the one person who successive owners of of the original one five eight, which which escaped from Aracy, uh, he was the chosen driver for. No matter who owned it, they only wanted him to drive it. Similarly, Jim Stokes wouldn't, I don't think, would have had anybody else drive it for a shakedown up at Blyton Park because his feedback is is first class. He's a sympathetic driver, very sympathetic to the to the machinery, and it was just. Wonderful to see him behind the wheel of uh, of a 158 again. It really was. I, I drove an awful lot of miles to see that, <laughs> as, as my piece in the magazine uh, last month noted. It's a long way from Devon. It's an awful long way from Devon, yeah. I mean, I think a, it was a round trip of 730-odd miles, I think, but it was worth every minute of it. Uh, even though it was cut short, we were actually supposed to do some in-car stuff, some car-to-car, but the fellow who was, who was supposed to be there, who was going to do some filming and facilitate the uh, car-to-car stuff, he uh, he phoned up at about one o'clock in the afternoon, I'm oh, sorry, can't make it, which was a big disappointment and it cut the day short. But nonetheless, it was it was good to be there and, and, and get the first UK photographs of the car yeah. on, you know, on track with, with such a great driver behind the wheel. So that, that's some of the, the nice bits about the role. And I, I, I guess there might be some nice bits about the, the DVLA liaison, but uh, what what does that involve? And again, how did, how did you sh- draw the short straw for that one? Well, I used to do the occasional letter for, um, for manufacturer dates back as far uh, in the early 2000s. And then our dear departed friend, Eric Harrison, who was some years ago, the 765 recognised signatory. Now, the V765 form is one that is used if you're trying to retain an, an, a registration number that goes back a long way yeah. that's been off this radar. Um, and he contacted me and said that he was about to give it up and would I be prepared to take it on? And then through liaison with the DVLA, they accepted my uh, application, if you will, to to carry it on, and, and that's how it happened. So, and it's all part and parcel of the interest in information, chassis numbers, and so on. So, thankfully, I already had a good contact at the archive through Elvira Rocco, and subsequently. Marco Fazio. I've since made a lot of good friends, or one in particular at the DVLA. I've got lots of contacts there for whom I have direct phone numbers. Now that, that <laughs> you don't know, you, they don't give away. But yeah. I, um, I've got one guy there, Barry Evans, who has become a real, a real help. We're on first name terms. Um, I regard him as a friend. We've never met. And I keep threatening to go down to Swansea and, uh, and catch up with him and have a cup of coffee with him. That's just snowball, really, from probably doing only four or five um, letters in a year to now almost, you know, two or three every week. And it, and it's more than just letters, isn't it? And there's some quite extensive investigations go on behind the scenes. 
Oh, absolutely. I mean, a majority of them are pretty routine. We get the manufacture date from the archive. The DVLA don't want to see the certificate of origin because you only get, that's the only option now is a certificate of origin, whereas they used to give you two options. They don't anymore. The DVLA don't want to see that certificate. What they want is a letter on, on uh, from me with a signature confirming the information contained in, in, the, um, in the certificate. Most of them are pretty straightforward and the registrations go through. The ones that do present problems generally speaking the cars that have come from South Africa and there are some of those become really I've got two going on at the moment which have been going on for two years and one of them has got to parliamentary level we have a feature coming on that one which um, I think I got the first draft of that feature nearly two years ago mm-hmm. when I think he thought it was it was a lot nearer completion than than it turned out to be I've, I've dealt with cars from you know even Tipo B's that people I had one last year that somebody's got a uh, how can you buy a Tipo B? It almost seems there's not enough money in the world to buy one of those, but uh, the gentleman who bought it wanted it road registered. And so I, I, I think it was through COIS, they, they inquired, they sent me a, an inquiry. And um, so I, I've done mundane cars, if you want to call them mundane, but I mean, run-of-the-mill classic cars, but even back to 8Cs, 6Cs, and I've got a couple going on now which are quite involved one one which carries the wrong chassis number an 8C and I know why it carries the wrong chassis number because it's all well documented in Simon Moore's uh, 2300 book but trying to convince the DVLA you, they'll change you they'll change an engine number without too much trouble but you try and change an identity and um, yeah that one's dragging on a bit but uh, um, I'm sort of in the middle of that but um, just I'm keeping my fingers crossed that it all gets a, a positive outcome one of the um, the early podcasts we did was with Carol Corliss yes. um, and we had a chat on there about the problems with particularly pre-war cars of dubious or at least yeah. difficult to determine origins yes uh, and I know yeah. that's a, a, a much bigger issue with, with some other marks Bugatti in, in particular but how big yeah. an issue is that with Alpha? Obviously, the cars that, that become subject to substitution, recreation, and so on are the ones that are worth. They've got to be worth a lot of money before they do it. So clearly, the pre-war cars are worth huge amounts of money. We know that there are cars coming out of Argentina. You can buy a brand new Monza if you want one. I mean, Jim Stokes will build build you one yeah. if, if that's what you want, but he won't pretend that it's anything other than a recreation. That's the worry that uh, it, because there's so much written about these cars, Simon Moore being uh, the, the, the the guru, if you will, um, Simon's become a good friend, that, that it's not difficult to find the cars that are believed to have been scrapped. And hey-ho, they suddenly appear in a barn somewhere having, um, you know, look what we found. Well, some of those are very dubious. There was one four or five years ago that, that was actually in a barn, been in a French barn for 50 years. It was quite genuine. And I was asked to go and, and, and view the car and um, report on its the fact that it was genuine and original. Um, it was all done under cloak and daggers and stuff. But of course, in, in Simon's book, there was a, a very short chapter on a car with that chassis number. And when I spoke to Simon about it, he said, well, I did warn the, the fellow. It's you know it's it's in doubt not to buy it because it was uh, he was going to lose his money. And lo and behold, when the real thing did come to light, and it was just an amazing sight to see when the covers were pulled off, an eighty odd year old Alpha. If that's what you were looking for, that's what you'd like to find. It was just totally, totally original. Never been, never been molested. 
Yes, that, that's. Uh, I've covered a wide range of vehicles, and um, probably a nine out of ten of them go through quite smoothly. That's something that Carol Corliss, and along with um, Chan, and she sort of drawn me into it, partly because I've got a fair, fairly large archive of, of um, photographic stuff. Um, Carol tells me she's I'm not an archivist. Yeah. She, I, she's very knowledgeable, but she doesn't archive stuff. I I, I archive it. You know, if I if I think I've got a photograph somewhere of a particular car. I've got a way of finding it because I can I can dig through my archive. You say she got you involved as though she twisted her, your arm. She just she just dangled a couple of chassis numbers, didn't she? And that was it. Well, yeah. I mean, Carol asked me if I would if I'd be happy to be involved, and I said yes, I will because for the, for the reasons she asked that I've got a, an archive and and can perhaps contribute in that way. Chan, I don't know where he's 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 so knowledgeable. I mean. Um, uh, he really is knowledgeable. And I don't know how he's collected so much information that he has, but uh, I, I think to, to be part of it, if he can contribute just a, a small percentage, then that's it. All helps, and it and hopefully it will safeguard. Because when people, you know, we, none of us here forever. When people do shuffle off this mortal coil. Mrs. Cherit, who's got most of the the information um, on the pre-war cards, sadly won't share it. Um, so what's going to happen to that when her time comes? I just don't know. So it's a, that's a worry. I don't know. I think that personally, I think the VSCC should jump in and um, try and do something with that. But whether they will or not, don't know. Yeah, and and you talked about the the archive in in Italy. I I guess we're we're lucky that that side of things kind of belies the. Italian reputation for for being you know slightly disorganized although they also have a, a corresponding reputation for being incredibly bureaucratic so I guess one one kind of balances <laughs> out the other um, but I mean compared to some other marks I think the the level of documentation is is pretty good I think it's second to none personally uh, and their museum uh, is you, you, which you visited I mean I've, I've I don't know how many times I've been there first time in 1988 and sometimes even twice or three times a year since but I think they've I think they've got the best in in the world and all thanks primarily to Elvira Ruaka because she she sort of set up that side of things Luigi Fusi was uh, was instrumental in in keeping records of course which we're forever grateful for but Elvira was a great archivist and she's very very knowledgeable Marco Fazio worked with her for a while until eventually she left and Marco took over. And then with the fiat regime, uh, he was sort of moved sideways, I think. And I'm, I believe that was unfortunate um, because he's a, a great fellow and he knows what he's doing. But that's how it works now. Where I used to get response from Marco more or less the same day or the day after where I sent an inquiry, it now takes weeks, sometimes months to, to come through the system. COVID hasn't helped yeah. because that's, that's caused problems with staffing and so on. But it's um, the archive is there. By and large, it's pretty complete. I know that there are some cars that they don't have records on, uh, in particular the ones that were actually built in their entirety in South Africa. That's a grey area. They've even got a list of 60-odd numbers with the 1750 GTV that they say don't exist. I know they do because I've dealt with four of them. So. But by and large, they're, they're, they're a great asset. Um, and I don't know where we'd be without them. I really don't. Yeah. Uh, even the books that are written, um, that they there's some good books around with Fuzi and then the other the two-volume books. But the DVLA wanted to come from, yeah. from Alfa Romeo. That's an awful lot to have crammed in, even to 40 years. 
How would you sum up your involvement with the mark? It's just become a way of life, I, 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 I suppose. And you, you get in, start doing things, you finish doing them. You know, the long term thing on the committee sort of came to an end. But my, my involvement hasn't, and I don't suppose it ever will, really. Well, I think a, a lot of us talk about Alpha being a way of life, but there's only a few people, yourself, John Dooley, a handful of others, where that's really literally true well on, on my medical records it uh, you know it's blood type it gets in there and it says <laughs> rosso 501 on my medical records i believe <laughs> i don't doubt that for a minute it's been an absolute pleasure ken thank you for taking the time to to talk to us today and um, no, hopefully it's been a pleasure session. for me also thanks ever so much well that's all we have time for this week thanks again to ken for taking the time to be with us we'll be back in two weeks time on sunday the 30th of january with something a little bit different to celebrate our 50th episode. You'll be able to download episode 50 from 1.30pm from the club's website, iTunes, YouTube, Podbean, Podcast Addict, and everywhere else good podcasts are found. Until then, stay safe.